Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Let's give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we come before you in prayer. We come before you thanking you once again for preserving your word for us, giving it to us. Lord, we have it now. We've heard it read, this familiar passage. Lord, there's much for us to learn. There's many ways for us to grow. So by the ministry of your Holy Spirit and the heart of your people, would you work today, oh God, through the preaching of this frail man. Father, would you move mightily in our hearts, increase our joy. Lord, ignite a fire within us that we might join the heavenly song singing Gloria in excelsis Deo. Oh God, thank you. Lord, protect me, help me at this time. Be with your people. Would you be honored and glorified with every word, every thought, yes, every deed. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Renowned poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a man who had once inspired a whole nation with his very words. But when the telegram arrived at his home in late November 1863, his pen was still silent. It had been silent for two years following the tragic death of his beloved wife. His grief still acutely palpable, he opened that letter, that telegram, and learned that his son 
had been severely wounded in the civil war that was tearing the country apart. Devastated and struggling to hold on to his frail faith, he departed for Washington, D.C., where he was to collect his son and bring his son home for a long and tedious time of healing. Wrecked by the grief of loss and the ongoing turmoil that wreaked havoc on the world, Longfellow was awakened that December 25th, just a month later. He was awakened to one of his favorite sounds. It was the sound of the church bells that always rang on Christmas morning. His soul was stirred and he was suddenly moved by a fresh wave of inspiration. So he got up and he sat down at his desk and he grabbed that dusty pen and he wrote the following poem. I'll read you three verses. I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks that song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this is the last stanza. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Many of you recognize that. Some of you have sang it in your old church hymnals. It's a beautiful poem turned hymn. And with these words, Longfellow the poet became Longfellow the preacher, reminding not only himself, but generations of readers who would follow that no matter how tumultuous the times get, that even when the war that rages within or the war that rages among people seems never ending, that even when our own very souls seem helplessly trapped in the clutches of grief and despair. Even so, his words ring true today. The wrong shall indeed fail and righteousness will surely prevail. But how? Isn't that the billion? Well, actually we throw a billion around like it's candy. Quadrillion dollar question. How? because of Christmas, because the Prince of Peace has come and he will come again. This morning, we're bringing our Advent series covering the names of the Messiah from Isaiah 9, 6 to a close. So far this month, we've seen how Jesus is the wonderful counselor. We've seen how he is indeed the mighty God and the everlasting father to his people. Today, we turn to this most familiar Christmas passage, Luke 2, 8 through 20, and we turn here to consider how this angelic announcement to the shepherds on the day of Jesus' birth reveals that he is indeed 
the Prince of Peace. And to guide our study of this passage, I'll lead us through it in three points. If you're taking notes, I'll go ahead and give you all three points up front that make up our outline. First, we'll look at the proclamation. The proclamation. Second, we'll look at the sign. The sign. And third, we'll look at the celebration. We'll look at the celebration. So let's begin with the first of the three points, the proclamation. If you were to pick any group of people, if you were to go back to this day and you were to pick any group of people to which this announcement of Jesus's birth was to be proclaimed, you must know that shepherds would have been near the very bottom of the list. Shepherds were, to put it nicely, outcasts. Shepherds lived out in the fields. And because they lived in the fields, guess what they couldn't do? They couldn't keep the ceremonial law. They were unclean, dirty people. Furthermore, life was rough out in the fields. And so they had a reputation, and a lot of time, reputation precedes reality, but they had a reputation of being liars and thieves. You may not know this, but so considered to be liars were they that their testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. The irony is thick here. Who would believe a shepherd? Who would believe a shepherd? Their closest friends were probably lepers. That might be something you're more familiar with. Shepherds and lepers, the lowest of the lower class, farthest to the bottom cast you could be in all of Israel. Yet it was to these lower class, maybe we'll call them working class people, that the proclamation comes. This is fascinating all throughout the gospels and really throughout even today's time, we, we tend to be a little bit like the people of Israel, like even the Pharisees and think that God is only for the good people. But if you know anything about the birth narrative of our Lord Jesus, you know that God takes those expectations, particularly in the birth narrative and even throughout time, and he turns them on their head. Because the truth is, is that God is for sinners. God is for needy sinners, whether they be rich or poor, accepted or shunned, shepherds or kings. God is for needy sinners who are desperate for grace. Perhaps we could say it this way, God is for those who know that their greatest need is need. Their greatest need is their need for a savior. And so it's to these needy sinners that this wondrous proclamation comes. I mean, think about it. It's just another day in the life of a shepherd. They're out in their field. They're keeping watch over their flocks by night. And then the the language here helps us with all the ands and this and this and this happened, right? Suddenly and overwhelmingly, an angel of the Lord appears. And the very glory 
what you may have heard called the Shekinah glory of God. It shines all around them. Every time, every time the Bible records the appearing of this glory, this outward visible manifestation of the invisible God, there's an immediate reaction from those who are nearby to see it. Do you know what it is? Fear. It is fear. People hide their eyes from it. We see that. People are absolutely overcome and overwhelmed by it. We could even say they're completely undone. Wasn't that Isaiah's words? I'm completely undone. And the shepherds here in verse nine are no different. Look what it says in verse nine. They were filled with great fear. They were filled with great fear. Now, like a lot of people, I, I think I first heard this verse from Linus. From Linus in the movie, A Charlie Brown Christmas. I wore my Charlie Brown Christmas bow tie in honor of that today. You might remember Charlie Brown's just exasperated. Will someone please tell me the true meaning of Christmas? And so Linus gets up, goes to the microphone, light comes on right, and he quotes this verse. But it was the first time I remember hearing it was, was here, and he quotes it from the King James Version, right? And some of you may know the, the King James Version because the way it worded the shepherd's fear has always stuck with me. Do you remember what he said? They were sore afraid. They were sore afraid. I was talking with someone before service and it just kind of reminds me of like, well, how afraid is that? What reminds me that when mom kept saying, when dad gets home, you're gonna get it. I was already so afraid I was sore because I knew what was coming. You could put it this way. It's you're afraid like you've never been afraid in your whole life. That's how afraid you are. At such a glorious appearing, who of us wouldn't be sore afraid as well? But notice the angel almost immediately breaks through their fear. And what does he say? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is like, immediate reassurance. At least that's the intention. Immediate reassurance. The shepherds needed to know that they were safe. Here's a group of people who were always on guard. They needed to know that they were safe. So the angel immediately says, look, I have good intentions for being here. I have good intentions. I come with good news that will bring great joy. Good news, great joy to all the people to all the people of Israel, to all the nations of the earth, to all the ones whom God is calling to himself. And what's the good news then? Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's good news. It's good news of blessed hope. The covenant seed of David the Savior who will deliver his people from their bondage. 
the anointed Messiah whom God had promised one day to send, the very son of God who was also Lord has now been born. He's been born in the city of David. Everyone knows what that was. Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. The angel is proclaiming that hope has come into the world. The truly unexpected visit to this unexpected group, this lowly band of shepherds has caused hope to pierce through the darkness of night and shine and shine the light of the glory of God on a world that was in desperate need of hope. And not only hope, a world that is in desperate need of peace. Now that is a glorious proclamation. But how can these shepherds be certain? How can they be certain of what they've heard? How will God confirm this good and glorious news. Of course, that brings us to our second point this morning, which is the sign. The sign. We've spent a lot of time in Luke's gospel and we're not even halfway through, but it shouldn't surprise us that Luke focuses on this. You know, such a confirmation is, is kind of tantamount to the overall goal of Luke's gospel. Remember, Luke is writing uh, what we've called, others have called it, uh, the gospel of certainty, the gospel of knowing for sure. But see, not only is it part of what Luke is doing, it's absolutely essential given this type of proclamation. I mean, think about it. Think about what they were just told. The shepherds were just told that a savior had been born in Bethlehem, who is also the Messiah. Our ears are dull to that, I think. We're a bunch of scholars who know it all, right? Well, put yourself in their sandals for a minute. Don't let that be lost on you. For centuries, the people of Israel had been longing for this Messiah. They had been told by the prophets that he was coming. They were told that he would come from the house of David. They were told that he would sit upon the throne of Israel. They were told that he would establish eternal justice and righteousness. They were told that his reign would never, ever come to an end. More importantly, probably more squarely, with this point that they were told that this Messiah would rise up to inaugurate something new. In Jeremiah 31, it's called the new covenant. The same covenant is mentioned in Ezekiel 37 as the covenant of peace. It's the new covenant, the covenant of peace. So if the Messiah is the champion of this new covenant, if he's indeed been born and he's bringing something new, then this new covenant was finally being established with Israel. So it must certainly be authenticated with a sign. And as you know, it's not just this one, there were many, but this is an important part. But just as unexpected, were the shepherds to whom the proclamation had come, so was the sign. 
that was to be given. Look again with me at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. So pay attention. Pay attention. This is what you're looking for. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. If they had a bingo card that day, that would not have been on their bingo card. It wouldn't have been. The one who had been given the highest of titles, son of David, Lord, Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, this one had come into the world in the lowliest of conditions. You see this mighty God, this wonderful counselor king, the everlasting father of time of his people, the prince of peace would be found wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, we, we buy cute little onesies. You know, I wanted my kids to see St. Louis Cardinals things immediately after they were born. And I think we compromised somewhere on that. And so we all know what that's like. So, so for them, this idea of wrapping a baby in cloths, that's not the point of the sign here. That's not the surprising part of it. That's common enough. Just wrap the baby in what was there, right? That's not it because that's not how the sign is verified earlier, later. The point of the sign is not to tell them what Jesus would be wearing. The key is to where they will find him. Where will he be lying? Look, the angel had to tell them this. If they went into Bethlehem just looking for this baby Messiah, guess where they would not have looked? In a feeding trough for animals. They would have never, ever looked there. They may have passed by and said, oh, poor people. Imagine that. But that can't be our promised Messiah. such poor, lowly conditions. And that's where the Messiah would come. But those conditions, notice this whole, this whole account just moves so fast. Those conditions cannot veil the glory that accompanies the sign. It's like a sign to accompany the sign to show that the sign is real because they're not gonna believe us when we say that the baby is laying in a feeding trough. You, you know the phrase, go big or go home, right? Kids, do you even say that anymore? That is something us old people say, go big, go home. Okay, well, God goes big here. He goes really big here. He adds a divine exclamation point upon the giving of this sign. I gotta read it again. Look at 13 and 14. Pay attention to words like suddenly. There was with the angel a multitude of angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. This is a punctuation mark of glorious praise. And it finds that first angel being joined with a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and giving him glory that he is due. It happens suddenly, and I think it happens shockingly 
as God summons his created angelic beings to ascribe to him glory in the highest, or in Latin, gloria in excelsis Deo. You see, God has most certainly done this day in Bethlehem what he had promised to do from the very beginning. Lying in that manger was the seed of the woman who had come to crush the head of the serpent. Indeed, all of creation, all of creation should join this angelic chorus. We've even done it already together this morning. And guess what? We shouldn't stop. Austin, let's sing it next week. And the week after, we should continually sing this song each and every day of our lives. Glory be to God in the highest. But that's not all. That's not the only thing that they sing. They actually give a benediction. They give a benediction, a blessing. If you don't know what a benediction is, it's a blessing upon all those whom Jesus came to save. And what's at the heart of that blessing? Peace, peace, peace on earth, goodwill. So man, you see the coming of the Messiah. It is, yes, for the glory of God, but it's also for the good of humanity. Messiah comes for the good of humanity. Peace was talked a lot about in this day. The kind of peace brought to earth by this Prince of Peace would be a stark contrast to the counterfeit peace that the Roman authorities of the day were offering. You might remember at the beginning of Luke chapter two, it begins with a decree from Caesar. I love that, right? God knew exactly where he wanted his son to be born. So he moves the heart of the Caesar to to create this, uh, this census. So now all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph have to travel all the way to Bethlehem because that's where God said it would take place. So he moves heaven and earth. So it happens. But knowing Caesar's control should remind us that this was an age of what was called Pax Romana, a time when people would praise the Roman emperor for doing what? Bringing peace on earth. Peace to the empire, peace upon earth. But if you know anything about the Roman empire or any earthly empire, it comes at a dreadful cost. Nations were subjugated and plundered. Peoples were enslaved. The poor were oppressed. There was peace and prosperity for some, yet there was fear and poverty for others earthly kings and their peace, earthly rulers, presidents, whatever, and their peace. That's some peace, maybe some modicum of peace. But now in Bethlehem, a true king had been born. And with his birth, the angels pronounced true peace on earth. Peace in line with the Hebrew idea of shalom, which is total peace for the whole person. And Todd, I'm going to give you credit. I heard Todd talk about this in a sermon once, Elder Todd Bulware. Uh, he says that this type of peace, shalom, can be summed up in this saying. I'll put him on the spot. Just kidding. Nothing missed, nothing broken. Nothing missed, 
nothing broken. The Hebrew shalom or peace. This is the peace that Jesus brings. It is the true peace of the covenant of peace, the new covenant. And it is the peace that the angels wish upon the shepherds and upon the whole earth. And it is peace confirmed in this sign that points the shepherds to the prince of peace that had been born in Bethlehem and was lying in a feeding trough for animals. I've often wondered, how does one handle such news? You know, we always say, I'd like to be there, right? And I kind of would, but, you know, how, how do they handle it? When you get such a revelation, well, it's pretty simple. How do you handle good news? You celebrate, you rejoice. That brings us to our third point this morning, the final point the celebration. I mean, yeah, the, the shepherds are gotta be overwhelmed, right? They have to be completely overwhelmed by all they've seen and all they've heard. And you can imagine what's going through their minds, right? You know, hey, did that really happen? Did that just happen? Was my wine a little too strong? Do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear, right? I'm glad you got that one. Whatever's going through their minds, I love the way Luke writes here and you don't have to wait long to see their response. Look with me again at verses 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I love it. Let's go. Let's see. They're like Peter and John upon news of the resurrection, right? They run to the empty tomb. That's what the shepherds do. They take off in a hurry. The language in the original wants us to see that they take off running, seeking so that it can be found. Not seeking in vain, but seeking with the purpose of finding. They take off running just as it had been told to them. There's no delay. And when they see it, him, when they see him, what do they do? Y'all are not going to believe this, right? Y'all won't believe what just happened. And they're probably, yeah, we're not going to believe what you say, <laughs> right? They're shepherds. Look at this. Because it's just as strange there as it is to them hearing it somewhere else. So they tell them, they told them exactly what had happened good news of great joy has been confirmed with a sign. And the celebration itself begins when we read in verse 18 that, quote, all who heard it wondered. They marveled at what the shepherds had told them. This doesn't mean that everyone who heard it believed. I mean, people were no doubt surprised by their story. And people probably talked about it for months afterwards. It's kind of funny to say that because people still talk about it today, don't they? We're still talking about it. Their story is shared year after year after year. The news they received that night is still celebrated today by believers and unbelievers alike. I mean, I saw the Charlie Brown Christmas story as an unbeliever. People sing about it. 
They sing joy to the world. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Gloria in excelsis Deo. So none of us can ever sing right, except for Austin. He's got it. And I know it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what people do. They're just singing songs, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, yeah, but they're singing it. Glory to the newborn king. Amen. Those are true words. Truth is truth. Good news is good news. Is it not? The unexpected sudden appearance of Jesus proclaimed to an unexpected group of lowly shepherds by an unexpected visit from a heavenly host of angels is not just any other good news. It's great news of great joy. The Prince of Peace has come and he's to be celebrated. And that celebration continues. It continues even as these shepherds leave Joseph and Mary's side. And I love it. Everybody celebrates differently. Even Mary celebrates a little differently, right? She, she hides it in her heart. She ponders these things. That's celebrating too. Mary knew. She knew. She knew what the angel had told her. And now she's seeing these things right now start to come true. Wow. He is the King of Kings. He is the Prince of Peace. But even after the shepherds leave, verse 20 tells us again that these shepherds immediately became the very first evangelists. They even beat John the Baptist to the punch. They become the first evangelists. They, it says that they share the euangelion, the good news, with anyone who would listen to them. They started telling anyone and everyone. That's wonderful celebration, right? Because great news has to be shared. It has to be told. And think about it. When others actually believe it, and then if they believe it by faith, what happens? They start telling other people. And then they tell other people who tell other people. And the celebration just keeps going and going and going and going. That's what good news of great joy does. It spreads. Good news of great joy breaks through the darkness of our souls it awakens within us a newfound hope. It actually gives us an expectation of something good, even something better. That's what the news does. But unless we grab a hold of that hope, what is it? It's just nothing more than a wish. But when hope shows up at your front door, when it comes to your fields at night, and the hope being proclaimed fulfills a promise that meets the deepest longings of your heart, the only true and proper response is belief. The only true and proper response to the good news that was proclaimed that night is belief. It's faith. It's faith that says, I have to go see this for myself. It's not enough to just hear about it. I have to experience it for all it's worth. As I look around the room this morning, I see a lot of people that I dearly love. I dearly love all of you. 
But I also see many people who are yearning and longing for peace. Peace, peace, peace. It commands so much attention in so many conversations. Quick passing bys on Sunday morning over dinner, lunch, breakfast, coffee. Peace comes up. It not only comes up with you, it comes up with all the people that we interact with, does it not? Always talking about peace. Whether it's a war within or a war with others, it could be personal, it could even be global war. All of us desire peace. It's common to human existence. We want peace. So I think to, to bring the plane to a landing today, I'll say this, take heart, brothers and sisters. Those bells are still ringing. Those bells are still ringing even today. Our hope for peace is not just wishful thinking. Longfellow said it right. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The Prince of Peace has come. He has come and he made peace by the blood of his cross. He made peace that reconciles those of us who believe in him by faith, reconciles us to God. Jesus also comes and he brings peace that calms the raging waters of our souls. And he brings a peace that surpasses all understanding a peace that I don't think anyone in this room can wrap their minds around. The peace that we'll get to finally and fully savor on the day of his second advent when he comes again and he brings with him that full peace that we can enjoy and the tranquility and whatever you wanna call it, the glory of heaven where there is no more sin, no more, no more sin. I can't wrap my mind around it. But when Jesus returns, the covenant of peace will be seen in its fullness and in its glory. So here's a challenge for you. Stop celebrating Christmas just at Christmas. I put a little pause in there for you. Stop celebrating Christmas just at Christmas. Let it go beyond the Christmas season. Let us experience this good news for all it's worth because you can't get enough, brothers and sisters. You can't get enough. Let's rejoice, as Peter says, with joy inexpressible and full of glory at the rule and reign of Jesus. And as long as there is breath in our lungs, my lungs and yours, may we never cease to share with others this good news of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Amen and amen.